Hello, and welcome to 52 Weeks of Health Equity with Conscious by Us. I'm your host, Tahisha. Imagine a world where everyone lives their healthiest life. What would that look like? At Conscious by Us, we believe health impacts all aspects of our lives, especially our progress towards creating a diverse and inclusive world where everyone feels they belong. Not only does health impact all aspects of our lives, but it's impacted by the things we have going on. In healthcare, we talk about these as the social determinants of health, which are, if you think about them as five areas, economic stability, access to quality education, quality healthcare, the neighborhood and environment you live in, and your social and community standing. It's really an interdependent relationship, the two things working together to create the healthiest version of you. With that in mind, I set out to have 52 conversations about health equity with a variety of guests across a multitude of areas, industries, and subjects. On today's episode, I am so excited to have two representatives from the Pennsylvania CASA program. CASA stands for Court Appointed Special Advocates. Today we have, as our guest, Jennifer DeBalco, who is President and CEO, and Ashley Frank, their Chief Impact Officer. Hi, ladies. I would love if you both can share just a little bit more about yourselves with our listeners, maybe a little bit from your background and how you got interested or started with the CASA program. Sure. I'll start, Tahisha. Thank you so much for having us today. I am Jennifer DeBalco. I'm the president and CEO of PA CASA, but my CASA journey started back when I was in college. I was an intern uh, for the the local CASA program near my college, and as part of that, I was allowed into the courtroom to see some of the stories of the children served by CASA. And as a result, I got to see the power of best interest volunteer advocacy in helping to to support children who are going through the child dependency system, the foster care system, or child welfare systems. Since that time, I've worked in various roles at local CASA programs, at the state office, and I have just enjoyed continuing to see the power of volunteer advocacy and communities rising up to support their most vulnerable members. Wow. And that is such important work that y'all are doing. Ashley, I would love to hear how you got started. And what, and and so I'm going to ask you a tricky question. What's a chief impact officer? (laughs) I know it's a pretty fun title. Um, So my role here with Pennsylvania CASA has transformed a little bit as our network has grown. And so I started out as the partnership director, um, working with local programs with um, some larger grants that we had received to pass through funding um, to those local programs. And as our team has grown and as we have received additional funding, um, the need to dive deeper into data and to um, start to ask what is the measure of success for CASAs and looking at CASAs effectiveness in the courtroom and determining those performance measures. Um, that is how I um, have had the privilege of receiving the role of Chief Impact Officer. Um, so it just is looking at the impact that the organization or local programs are having on the children and families that they're serving. 
Wow. So you're really about, is this really working? Like, are, are we doing what we say we're going to do? Which is so important when we look at inclusion, equity, diversity programs, the evaluation piece, the outcome piece, the piece that we often miss. So love that you're doing that. And so here's what I think I understand about CASA programs. And so just a little bit of why like this is so close to my heart. My father was in foster care. Um, He was a child of the foster care system in New York. And so I have a almost like a mixed heart around it because I've listened to some of his great stories and some of his sad stories about what it's like to be in the foster care system. Um, And so my understanding around CASA is that it is a volunteer-driven program. So meaning you rely strictly on volunteer advocates and that these advocates help by engaging with the child, kind of learning about their family, their life, um, kind of shaping that picture and then sharing that back to, or not shaping the picture, but getting that picture and, and sharing that with the court system so that they can really advocate for them in their best interests um, when it comes to the court system. Is that kind of right about what the advocates do? Yes, that was very well done. Um, I'll add to that, that our advocates are appointed by the court and they do take all that information that they learn from what you're saying and put it in a report back to the court so that their information is helping the court make the best decisions they can for the children and families they serve. And that sounds like such an important, um, it's, it sounds like it's so important to have a CASA advocate because they're speaking for the child in that situation. Is there anybody else who would be speaking for the child, like specifically for the child with the court in that situation if there wasn't a CASA advocate or if a program didn't exist in a state or area? Absolutely. So it's different in every state. Every state has their own laws around it. In Pennsylvania, guardians ad litem are appointed for the CASA or for the child and the CASA works alongside of them. Those guardians ad litem in Pennsylvania are attorneys. And so they advocate for the child's best interests um, alongside with the CASA. And so we um, work really closely with them. We have a good partnership with them. They oftentimes have higher caseloads than a CASA volunteer. A CASA volunteer has a caseload of one, whereas a guardian um, has a caseload much larger than that. And uh, so almost so so the um, the guardians, they almost sound like social work caseloads where you're maybe they're not that they're not doing the best that they can do, but having that CASA advocate is that one to one attention. Mm-hmm. And so when they do this report, does this go um, to the everybody in the court or does it go to a specific person or you know, just so our listeners kind of understand. Absolutely. It goes to the judge and to all the parties in the case. Okay. But it's all confidential, right? Everybody keeps everything confidential. Yes. Wonderful. And so it sounds like such an important role. And I'm sure that you do training for your advocates who come in. Um, And so I like we got in touch with each other because we'd sit in this health equity wanting to make health better and healthiness and and wellness. And so you have a special or Pennsylvania has a a kind of like very interesting view on medical information, right? Which when I first did the intro, I talked about how health impacts everything. 
But in Pennsylvania, your CASA uh, advocates can also see the children's medical records too. Why do why do, why do we why does that matter? Like why does that matter in a court system? Well, I think I know. <laughs> I guess. The reason it matters, as we've dug in, we've learned more and more why it matters. Um, but when we originally set out to have this specific healthcare advocacy training, we knew that children um, who entered the foster care system had higher percentages of chronic illness, um, and so. Uh, the American Academy of Pediatrics has some really daunting statistics about the children who are entering the foster care system and their health care needs, both in physical, oral, and developmental health care. And what we came to find out as well was that those needs are not always addressed when they come into the foster care system. So when children are in the child welfare system, uh, staff turnover, multiple placements, lack of access to services lead to those needs still not being met. And so we felt that we needed to be very good stewards of the information that we have access to. Our volunteers all go through a 30-hour pre-service training. It's a crash course in the child welfare system, the legal system, all uh, issues impacting families. It's a lot to take in, and our volunteers come from all walks of life. They don't necessarily have any interaction with the child welfare system prior to coming into this role. And so they have to learn a whole lot. And they do, and they do a great job, and they're supported by staff members. Uh, But there's more that we can do for them. And so that's where this idea about training them specifically in the healthcare area came from. We have access to the information. We're one of the few people who does have access to the information. And so we need to be good stewards of that information. Yeah. Thank you so much for for clarifying that and giving some context around it. And I know you don't want to scare our listeners with those stats, but I'm going to scare them because I, when I looked at this, I thought to myself, oh my gosh, I cannot believe we are not talking more about the um, the health of these children that are in the foster care or, or, or kind of going through the court system. So what I saw was pretty shocking to me that 30 to 80 percent of the children that come into the foster system have at least one medical problem and a third of them have a chronic medical condition. So when we're saying chronic, we're talking about diabetes. Um, They may have obesity and be very young, uh, you know, um, hypertension, all kinds of chronic health issues that I'm sure create a different picture than a child who is completely healthy. And I wouldn't anticipate that any child who goes through trauma is going to come through that unscathed. Um, I also saw that it, it's, it looks like when it comes to mental health, uh, there are just tremendous mental health health issues. 80% of them have some type of significant mental health problem or issue. Um, 70% have been neglected or abused or exposed. 80% have been exposed to, to domestic violence. And then this was this, the, um, the heartbreaking statistic that I found uh, that children in foster care are 42% more likely to die than children in the general public. So what you were doing is just so important when it comes to recognizing that health is a big component of whether or not these children can integrate back into 
Because the best, what the aim here is really to get them back with their family of origin is my understanding of how foster care and how you advocate for children in foster care too. Because no matter how traumatic and sad these statistics are, in some cases, the parents may have been neglectful or abuseful or, or abused their children because they were also in a system of chronic abuse and trauma. So I'm not going to go down that path, but... Your CASA and foster care really is about reuniting families and redeveloping families. And so if we leave that health piece out, um, how do you do that? So I, I commend you. I applaud you for thinking about that and probably what your CASA advocates have to encounter when they're dealing with their clientele. So with that in mind, those things that I've talked about, Tell me about what you did to address that health piece, because that's some staggering statistics, right? I'm sure you were hearing and, and thinking about, and you said being good stewards of the information you had. Absolutely. So I'm going to just share an overview of how we started to address it. And then Ashley has some very specific statistics that she can share. We knew we needed to address it, and we, we leaned into a learning management system that would allow our uh, 1,000 CASA volunteers across Pennsylvania to be able to access the training. We wanted to make sure everyone could. We set out to deliver a training via an online platform, and as we were ready to launch it, Ashley uh, stopped the train on the tracks and basically said, I think we can gather some outcomes data from this and see if not only are we releasing a training, but is that training having an impact on volunteer behavior? Is that volunteer behavior impacting court decisions? And are those court decisions ultimately impacting a child's health? And so Ashley, I'll, I'll let you share from there. And kudos to Ashley for thinking about outcomes, right? Is Before you jump into that, Ashley, are there any other states that are doing something similar to this? Or are you sort of piloting something that maybe we should be doing on a national level? Um, so we are one of the first states in our in our CASA network nationally that is um, specifically creating a course to then track the outcomes from that course um, in the case management system that CASA volunteers utilize. So this is kind of the first unique pilot, which we're very excited about and um, are in the process of having it evaluated by an external consultant to then be able to take those recommendations. And the goal is to provide this training more nationally so that other CASA volunteers have the opportunity as well to be informed of their role as a healthcare advocate. That is wonderful. Look at Pennsylvania Go, setting the pace for others to follow and getting data and true statistics analysis to back that up. Wow, that that is such wonderful work. And you have some stats too. So let's let's share this story with our, our listeners. Yeah, so our passion for this really led to Jen's vision of creating this child well-being academy. And we had this inaugural healthcare advocacy course that we piloted with um, six local CASA programs. And those, the results from that were really, really tested what we'd set out to do as like, this is going to work. Um, we saw the change in behavior. And so the, um, the course has objectives that we measure with the pre and post tests. And from that pilot, we saw a 20% increase in confidence for volunteers' um, ability to advocate for a child's health care needs. And so 20, that, wait, 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 
increase. So that's statistically significant. What's the usual conf- like the the usual confidence that goes up when people take courses? Do you know that? And and if you don't know, that's fine. I am not sure, like statistically for other courses, what what that number would be. But we well, we were not expecting twenty percent. Usually it's like what one percent, three percent improvements. That's what I've seen, and and at least in uh, medical or or healthcare uh, interventions, we see anywhere between like zero point eight to like five percent changes in behaviors. So twenty percent is is huge. That's huge. Mm -hmm. Wow. And and since then, so we've released. So we were able to measure that in the first course. And then since then we expanded it. So now we have 13 CASA programs, 130 CASA volunteers and 250 children involved in completing not only the healthcare advocacy course, but we've created two additional courses um, that address health equity and specifically are looking at disparities addressing LGBTQ health disparities and racial and ethnic health disparities and still seeing an average, some a little more, but hovering around that 20% increase in confidence to advocate for youth's healthcare needs and apply an understanding of health disparities to cases that they are serving on, which again was, we were really pleased to see. And beyond that, Then what um, Jen was referring to with the assessment piece is we created this three question assessment, very simple, big picture where the volunteer at quarterly, every three months um, as they're serving the child, they'll take the assessment and the assessment asks about the child's needs in the area of physical health, oral health and developmental health. And the responses to each of those questions, you know, range from there are needs, but they're being met there's X number of unmet needs and there are unknown needs. And we scored the response of unknown needs as the lowest um, because we thought, if you don't know, then you can't advocate. You can't advocate for the service that they might need or the treatment that they might need. And so that's really where CASA volunteers are demonstrating such a powerful impact in recognizing in this domain of health, I'm not sure if the child has an oral health need. I don't actually have the records. So let me start there and let me dive into these records. And over the course of six months, we've observed an 85% decrease in unknown responses and a 16% increase in a child's overall health well-being. And that means that needs are being identified and they're either being met or they're working toward being met, which is huge because that was the whole goal of this project. That is huge. I mean, there are um, no shade on the healthcare field, but I, I think there's probably some healthcare, you know, professionals who struggle with the same thing. Like they don't know the need of their patient or their client, and they don't ask. And I love that you have literally opened the eyes of your advocates to, hey, if I don't know, maybe I should know, and kind of identified a missing area for them so that they can then in turn advocate and fill in that gap that maybe is being missed. Um, 
when it comes to the healthcare of these children. Um, now, I'm not saying that uh, healthcare professionals don't ask these questions, don't seek those things, but when you can really focus on perhaps there's a, a need here in this specific area, it does help others in, on the team to really figure out, well, what do we need to do for this child? Um, and have you seen any um, any changes with mental health? Because uh, that's one of the big ones that we're all talking about, right? Like mental health and young people and children, especially teenagers. And since you mentioned LGBTQ+, you know, that's a vulnerable population. Have you seen any um, impact in that area? And if you haven't, that's okay too. Yeah, so each of our three healthcare advocacy courses um, do touch on the inner, like we understand that trauma impacts one's physical health and it there's that intersection there. And so um, recognizing that the two health equity courses do delve deeper into that, but we have also developed a separate trauma-informed advocacy course um, that also really puts that lens on mental health and ways CASA volunteers can really help build um, factor resilience factors in the children and youth that they're working with. And that is so powerful because when you listen to those numbers that you had said and the numbers that I had said, if there's up to 80% of these kids are coming in with some type of in issue, whether that be physical or mental, um, that is a huge bulk of the children that you're serving. That's, you know, we that 80 20 rule, you know, we used to say, like, oh, don't worry about the 20%, worry about the 80%. You guys are sitting in a space where most of the kids that come in will have some type of problem or issue that they, they, has long gone un, unaddressed. Um, so it's so powerful that you're giving them the tool and the language to talk about that. So not only have they learned about the court system, now they're, they're, they learned about how to be sort of healthcare advocates for children. So for those who volunteer because it's skill acquisition, I will throw that out there. Not only do you get to learn about these different systems and how they interact, but you learn about health advocacy, which we could all be health advocates for ourselves too, right? I'm sure your volunteers kind of walk away with a, huh, I didn't know that. Or like, I learned something that I'm going to use in my, I don't know if they say this, but in my personal life too, because I've often taken courses and and had aha moments, um, learning things. So I'm going to ask you about your aha moments. So while you were developing this and, and incorporating the health education piece and the education you already do, um, what would you say is the greatest ahas that came out of this? I think for um, me, as we are developing this is we've had several CASA volunteers who have completed the courses um, or helped contribute to the development of the course content. And several of their stories really highlighted that small change is still change. Um, and there are times where, I'll never forget a story shared where there was a, a youth who had braces and had moved several placements and the CASA volunteer asked the youth like what the last time that they had seen an orthodontist and the youth could not recall. And so something so visually obvious that you would think there should be regular checkups and visits and that it would be kept on schedule, especially being involved, you know, in the child welfare system with all this involvement of professionals, it was overlooked. And so 
that attention to detail that a CASA volunteer can provide is, I think, the biggest aha moment is, you know, in order to make a difference in a person's life, you have to be able to see the whole person. And CASA volunteers have that privilege of doing just that. And that for me was probably the biggest aha moment with the development of these training courses is that we all have the humility to learn more and to understand these disparities impacting children in the child welfare system. And then those especially that are, it's compounded for children who identify as LGBTQIA plus and who also belong to diverse racial and ethnic backgrounds. And so it's our responsibility to educate ourselves and help remove those barriers. And um, I, do, I do really feel passionate that CASA volunteers have that opportunity to do so. You know, and, and it was, it's such a simple thing, right? Like the braces, it pops out and having had braces um, and thinking about those visits, I can't imagine not being able to remember, oh, I had a visit like two weeks ago or whatever, because they do adjustments at every visit. So, and they check to make sure you're not getting cavities and you're not having problems because braces without attendance can cause other issues and problems for kids. So the fact that it was the CASA advocate that pointed this out, that showed this, really shows how the social determinants are really working together, right? They're influencing each other. If you don't have that that uh, community and that social support and that, you know, the, the education piece help with the CASA advocate to feel empowered to work towards this child having a better outcome, it probably would have been missed. And eventually someone would have said, when do you get your braces off? <laughs> you know, I hope. Um, but who knows? Who knows if that would have happened? So um, that is really a win for your for your team and your organization that you can see, like, here's a concrete story where this happened, um, which is so surprising because it seems so, like you said, Ashley, like so visual, like, you know, but that that kind of kicked that off. So you mentioned barriers. Are there other areas where you think we need to improve when it comes to maybe not just um, not so much the CASA program, but how society can support what y'all are doing in in ways that reduces barriers to getting children help sooner or navigating the 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 legal system? Yeah, I think um there's a couple of things that I think can contribute um, to removing those barriers. And, and some of that is language support. I think language barrier, barriers can make it really difficult for families to communicate with healthcare providers or understand medical information. Um, so providing interpreters or translated materials and having multilingual staff can really help ensure that effective communication and comprehension of you know, what can be really difficult medical medical information to process. Um, another thing is access to transportation, um, especially in our rural communities where resources are so limited and they have to travel much further to access quality healthcare, um, providing those transportations, shuttle buses, ride sharing services, anything similar can really help ensure families get to medical appointments. Um, and I think you know, I think we're seeing increasingly more community-based resources, but those health clinics, um, community health workers, health education programs, I think education is huge. Um, 
understanding risks, understanding one's own body, um, removing some of the taboo to talking about, um, you know, different, you know, whether it's reproductive health or sexual health or, you know, to really be mindful of all areas of health um, can also be um, one way to, to help improve access to healthcare. You know, that's interesting because we don't talk about certain taboo issues. And so then you have an advocate who's advocating for the child. And I, and I like you mentioned that because if we're not comfortable talking about health, how can we expect our advocates and volunteers to dive into those areas if we don't talk about health? And there are certain um, uh, generations and certain groups that really health is like it's held very close to the vest and you don't talk about how your body works um, from menstruation right girls not knowing what was going like my mom would tell me stories about how like it just happened you didn't know what was going on you learned on the streets maybe you got a book <laughs> from like you know a pamphlet or something she's like my, my mom just literally like handed me a, a pamphlet and some you know some fats so being able to get people comfortable talking about health is so important because all, all we really have is our bodies, right? Ourselves and how healthy we are. The one thing I will um, point out to our listeners, policies too. And voting on if, if policies are coming up and there's changes to laws that are coming up that impact health, understanding what those policies are. And sometimes legal policies impact our health care and maybe impacting this wonderful organization we're hearing about today. So if health stuff is coming up that you need to vote on, make sure they understand the impact of any health policy that may be coming up in your town or local state policies. Because really, federal policies are one thing, but a lot of action happens at the state. Um, Jennifer, I think you mentioned when you were talking about the CASA group, how you know, really, it's state, each state is slightly different, which is perhaps why uh, the state of Pennsylvania looks a little different because you have you guys have a lot of access to the medical piece and being stewards of that. So that impacted how you're rolling out this program, which seems so common sense. I'm like, oh, this should be everywhere. Why don't we think of this? But it's because you have all this access and the state allows you to have that access. So um, education, information, all of those things are important. So listeners, my understanding is that, um, and from everything you mentioned, anyone can apply to be a volunteer with CASA. Um, and so if you would like to volunteer, I, I have some great information here and we'll have it in our, um, our, uh, our, our podcast notes, how to connect with CASA, how to connect with CASA in your state. But if you would like to connect with the PA CASA group, they're at www.pacasa.org. Um, and, you know, you can also find the, the specific program in your state. For example, I'm sitting in New Jersey and now I'm like, maybe I should be a CASA volunteer. Um, so look for your state and see where you can volunteer. If you're sitting in PA, please volunteer with them um, or at least throw your hat in the ring. Um, to just, you know, find out how you can support them in other ways. Um, is there any other thing that you would like to point out about your organization or share before we end today's podcast? I just want to highlight the power of volunteer advocacy. The weekend we released this course was a holiday weekend. We had hundreds of advocates signing on 
to learn and do better for their children. So without the advocates, it wouldn't be possible, but they certainly understand the power of the volunteer advocacy that they provide. Um, And so anyone who really wants to make a difference in their community and strengthen their communities, we would encourage you to join us um, with CASA. Anyone who can't find their local program, if they're in another state, feel free to reach out to us at the website Tisha presented, and we would be happy to help get you connected. And Ashley, anything else before I end our end our podcast and 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 uh, send people on their way to sign up. <laughs> no, thank you for the opportunity um, for having both Jennifer and myself here to share more about healthcare advocacy because I think you know, regardless whether you're a CASA volunteer, whether, you know, you're just involved in your community, um, everyone can have an interest in one's health and elevating um, the the issues that, you know, are facing everyone um, nationwide in terms of just health equity and access and quality health care. Well, thank you so much for both coming on the podcast. We really appreciate you. You've shared some great information. And as I said, uh, I'll have a link in the notes for how you can reach out to the Pennsylvania CASA group. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. We have great people on here who talk about their passion around health and equity and making the world a better place for all of us. Thank you very much. And we will see you next time. All right.